Well, I have hit record and I have lines. I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. I'll see you again in Chonsi. Shoving a fork into an electrical socket, I'm Jasmine Lila. And wondering who is Judy, I'm Mel's. Welcome to Damn Fine TV's Twin Peaks Tuesdays. This week we're covering Season 3, Part 15, There's Some Fear in Letting Go, and Part 16, No Knock, No Doorbell. Listeners, our log is turning gold and the wind is moaning. Let's rock. I understand. All right. Episode 15. What are your thoughts? Okay. Well, let me just say that the next two episodes that we're going to cover here, okay, they have moved up the ranks and are my two favorite episodes ever. They're at a tie. Ever. Ever. Oh, my gosh. I've never been so excited in my life. Yeah. Than when I started episode 15 and when I ended episode 16. So, oh, I just, <laughs> I mean, words escape me. I I was super excited for episode 16 and then, but episode 15, I was super emotional, if yes. that makes sense. Yes. So, man, I I am just. I am so glad that I got on the Twin Peaks train. I can't say that enough. (laughs) I know. And it's like I was texting you the other day. I know I tell you all the time, but it just brings me so much joy that you are enjoying this so much and that like I get to re-experience everything with you. I mean, this has just been such a blast, honestly. Oh my gosh. I just, I, I love this show. It it's It's, actually it goes beyond love. It's like I am emotionally attached to this show now and I can't wait to watch it many more times I know right it's been a long very long time I will say since the show has made me so excited as this show yeah I am honestly on the verge of tears because I (laughs) I didn't know that I would ever I mean, I, I know other people on the internet, let's say, that like feel very strongly about Twin Peaks, but I've tried to share this show with, you know, with Tyler, with other friends, and they just don't get that same feeling. But, and, mm-hmm. and I feel silly saying it to people who don't quote unquote get it, but honestly, Twin Peaks changed my life. It has made Ugh. me look at television differently. It has made me think about certain concepts in life differently. I mean, it honestly has made such a deep impact. Yes, uh, and I agree with that 100%. Oh, I mean, it's so nice for somebody to get it. <laughs> it's it's like the stars aligned and you brought me mm-hmm. the Twin Peaks and man. And I agree with you. Like this is the best television I have ever watched. And I have watched a lot of TV. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched a lot of shows and I've been into a lot of shows, but I just, 
this really puts the bar way up high. I mean, I honestly will pick up a show and watch it now, and I'll be like, hmm, this is not as good as Twin Peaks. <laughs> yep. It's really hard to find other TV. And, like, again, with other people, I feel like, oh, maybe I'm being snobby about it. But I don't know. You get it. So I feel like this is a safe space, and I love that yeah. we've created this with each other. It's amazing. Yes. And it's not snobby at all. It's just pure facts. I mean, it is what it is, right? (laughs) Yes. But it's true. I think, I mean, Twin Peaks just sets the bar so high for what's possible on television that you look at other shows and you go, and you can see why certain television is objectively good, but it just doesn't reach a certain peak that Twin Peaks does. It just doesn't go that extra mile, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean- Wow. Yep. So I hope that tells you how I feel about I, these episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to joke and say, tell me how you really feel, Mel's, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much time you got? <laughs> I know, right? I, I feel like a lot of our wrap-up show is going to be just gushing over oh. these three seasons. But, um, yeah, so let's get back to episode 15. You're right. It's such an emotional episode. There are some wonderful new beginnings, or maybe it's better to call them sort of a a restart in a way. And then there's some really touching endings, or as the log lady might call it, just a change. Um, I noticed that a lot of the visuals in this episode are just, you know, the big expansive woods of Twin Peaks, the forest. Mm. There's so many trees happening in this episode. And it feels like, you know, I think we mentioned this early on, but it's like the the woods are engulfing Twin Peaks, like both the show and the actual town. Like they just yeah. keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they hold so many secrets and it's so intriguing. Um, mm-hmm. But episode 15 to me feels like a gift in so many ways. It's we get closure on something. We're given this beautiful tribute to a character. And I don't know. It's like I don't want to like – thank David Lynch and Mark Frost and be like, oh, I'm so grateful. But in a way I am because there's so much, it's bittersweet because there's so much tragedy in this show. And I think Mm -hmm. underlying this entire season is the idea that we've missed 25 years of these people's lives and we'll never get it back, you know? And and then we just get beautiful things like this and it feels really nice. Yes, I, I agree with that. Let's head over to Twin Peaks, where a love story that has spanned decades finally gets its happily ever after, and we say our final goodnight to Margaret Lanterman. And of course, a few other things happen, but they weren't as important to highlight, so. Yes. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's let's start off with Nadine, who is, you know, marching down the highway with her gold shovel on her way to tell Ed some big news and... um. Before we really dive into that scene, I had mentioned, I think, last week that I had some overall thoughts about Nadine that I kind of wanted to elaborate on. And so Nadine has this, like, obsession with curtains and being silent, you know, making these curtains silent and making them take up not so much space. And it really uh, rings 
or it really has this echo with, I think, the way that a lot of women are raised to sort of be, to be quiet, to be silent, to not take uh-huh. up too much space, to make themselves smaller. But Nadine has never been that person. Nadine has always had such a big personality. She's, I mean, she's loud. She's got this, like, boisterous laugh. I mean, she is so, especially when she thinks she's a teenager, she's so incredibly in charge of herself. And she's got this, like, super strength, right? So yes. I wonder if the the silent drapes thing is her trying to channel all of that, like, societal kind of bullshit into that because she cannot sort of be tamed in a way. And then I also think that it's interesting, you know, where else do we see curtains and drapes so predominantly in this series? It's in the lodge space, right? So I do kind of wonder if Nadine has had an experience with the lodge or lodge spirits and then like this idea for silent drapes came to her. I don't know, but I just, I love that, if nothing else, Dr. Amp has actually helped one person. Yeah. And Nadine really deserves it. I don't think yes. we've ever seen her this happy, this genuinely happy in in her own right mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you. I mean, and I said this from when we first started, like, season one. I love Nadine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I love this beautiful arc that she's yeah. been given. You know, like, she started off, you think she's a little, like, helpless, right? You think, well, she's going through some things, and and we see that her husband is obviously in love with someone else, and, and that effect that it has on her, and that all she wants to do is make these silent drapes, you know, right? Like, this was the Nadine that we were introduced to. Mm-hmm. And this Nadine that walked up so powerful with her shit shoveling, you know, shovel and she's ready to get out of the shit. And just that whole scene with her and Ed was powerful. Yes. And it gave me the chills and I loved it. And you're right. She's genuinely happy. You know, Ed is like. Norma, oh, excuse me. Ed is like, Nadine, what are you talking about? You're on that, you know, Jacoby trip or whatever. And she's like, no, like, I've manipulated you. I've been a selfish bitch, which I was like, whoa, when she dropped that. I don't necessarily agree with that, but we, we can get into that. You keep going. Yeah, I don't, I didn't agree with that either, to be honest with you. But I was like, Nadine, wow, like she's just speaking with such power in her truth. And she's like, go be happy, live the rest of your life, and I'm going to be okay. And I just, yeah. I, the, the completion, or what I'm assuming is the completion of Nadine in the story, could not have been done any better, in my opinion. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, the way that you talk about her saying it so powerfully, it's like she's finally stepped into that part of her personality that is so big and unapologetic and she can finally just be happy with that, you know? Yeah. Like she doesn't have to, she doesn't need edge, doesn't need her curtains, like she is just herself and that's enough for her. And it's so and I love it. wonderful. Yes. But yeah, yes. so like back to the selfish bitch thing, I was like, okay, I get it. And it's it's a funny line reading too. Like I love the way that Ren- Wendy Roby says it. It like it packs a punch. But you know, I think Ed, like I get why Ed stayed with her after that whole kind of mental health 
crisis, let's say, when she thought she was a teenager and when she snapped out of it. I totally get that. But it's been 25 years. I think Ed was a little bit of a coward and could have could have left her behind, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know that Nadine's necessarily been selfish. I think that there's so many more factors to it, but I mean, how it all how it all shakes out is perfect. So Yeah. And like I said, I don't agree. I didn't agree with what she was saying. I didn't I didn't even get ever that she manipulated Ed. I just don't I don't feel that from Nadine. So when she was saying it, yeah, it packed a punch. But I was just like, mm. and maybe she was saying it because she thought if I, you know, I've got to say this mm. to him to to make it make him realize that I'm being serious or yeah. whatever. I don't I don't really know. But I didn't so much agree with that. And you're right. I, if anything, I thought Ed was like, you know, get a spine and, you know, yeah. let her go, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we're meant to sort of infer that throughout the 25 years she had manipulated him in some way, but, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, whatever. But, yeah, so then over at the double R, I mean, this is like whiplash in a way because you're so excited with Nadine and Ed, and then you can feel Ed's, like, excitement, and then he's almost immediately rejected, and then he's ordering, <laughs> like, a cyanide tablet, and it's just like... <laughs> Oh, my God. So in that moment, you're watching this for the first time. What did you think was going to happen? Well, I, I'm going to tell you what I thought at, like, once the scene was completed. I almost thought it was a dream because Ugh. he closed his eyes, right? Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, he's just dreaming Norma coming up and, you know, right. agreeing to marry him. But then when we see Shelly... In the moment, I was like, no, this is real. And I loved that there was that suspense there because she cut him off a little bit, you know. And she was like, Walter's here. I got to talk to Walter. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, no. Like, fuck Walter again. Yeah, get out of here, Walter. (laughs) You're showing up at the worst times ever. Stop it. And, yeah, him just sitting there, and and I thought he's dejected, and this didn't work out the way he wanted to. But, man, and I'm going to tell you right now, I was crying big tears during this. So many tears. (laughs) And the fact that they picked the Otis Redding song, I've Been (sighs) Loving You. I'm almost crying now. It's so I know, me too. Okay, because I... I had to take a pause there because I was like, don't do it. <laughs> Mel's do not cry. Okay. You oh my gosh, I gotta take a moment. Hold on. <laughs> that song is so beautiful, so emotional, so full of that love. And then there's the line that we heard over, you know, a couple of times, my love grows stronger as our affair grows older. You know, mm-hmm. just that whole Oh, I've got chill bumps. I've got tears in my eyes. I know, and, and it's so perfectly timed with the scene. Like, I don't know if it's yeah. the version of the song that they chose to use, but the way it goes quiet when Norma is talking to Walter and then the way it keeps building and building to this, like, yeah. beautiful climax. I mean, wow. Like, yeah, perfect choice. Perfect, perfect. And I have I have a small affection for Otis Redding. I will just let you know. Um, my first song when we got married was to an Otis Redding song. So Aww. when I heard it start playing, I was like, this 
is perfection. Yeah. Just put a bow on it, wrap it up. It is ready to go. It is amazing. Ugh. And then Shelly's reaction. That's yeah. what, like, like, I'm already tearing up in that scene, and the music is really punctuating these moments and, like, making all of the emotions swirl around. But then when you see Shelly, oh, God, I'm right there again. But, like, Shelly's yeah. face is just such pure joy. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm wiping my eyes. <laughs> yes. I I was wiping mine earlier. So like cry I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wrap it up by saying crying really big tears. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Just wow. Yeah. I mean And and this is beautiful. one of those moments that, you know, when I was talking in earlier episodes about this season really it it defies a kind of fan service, but there will be moments that feel really important and really directed towards the fans in a way, but it also Mm -hmm. really works within the script. I mean, we've seen Nadine watching these videos and we've seen it building to this place where she's feeling better about herself and more confident and able to take that step with Ed. And then that leads to this, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's just... It's not it's not fan service, it's not nostalgia. It's just, I don't know. It's better than that. Yes, it is. 100%. It's I, I mean, it's just perfection. There's not a better way that that could have gone. And I'm glad we got that because yeah. I was because we've talked so much about the lack of the fan service. That's why I was like, "Oh no, this is just going to be a dream you know he's not it's not going to be real because even when he was smiling when Walter you know walked away I was like did he overhear like what is going on here and I was just I couldn't be happier that they gave that they did give us that right yeah oh gosh oh the best I know I know, man. <laughs> All right. Get well, you in the feels real oh, good. Oh, it really does. It's like, it's right in the gut. You feel Ooh. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's shake it off and head to the woods where <laughs> Stephen is high as fuck. And I think Gersten might be as well, but she's not, she's not quite as high as Stephen because she's trying to calm him down. But like, Stephen is on a trip. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This thing, it's so... <laughs> We're so, like, happy in the scene with Ed and Norma. And then this, which just, like, I think just throws you right off again, you know? Because you're like, what the hell is going on? I mean, what what do you feel about this scene? Well, I was just like, I'm over you, Stephen and mm-hmm. Gersten. I'm just, you know, I'm done with it. Like, I don't care. They were trying to, like, disparage if that's the right word, like Becky, you know, I was like, I'm not having that shit. Cause they were like, she did this to you. What did she give you? You know? And I don't know. I mean, maybe Becky is not the quite so innocent. Cause we've seen some moments from her, right? I mean, she did drive off with her mom on the windshield of the car, but when you're in a relationship like that, I feel like that does those types of things to you in a way. Sure. And, I was just like, Stephen, all right, you've got a gun. I mean, I obviously don't wish any harm on anyone, but whatever you've got up your sleeve, just go ahead and do it because I don't like listening to you uh, describe your love life with Gersten. I didn't appreciate it. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was rude as fuck. Okay. I was yeah. like, you've got Becky, you've got a Briggs. Okay. I know. 
how could you even, eh, whatever. And not to put down Gersten, I just, you know, whatever. But I was like, I'm over you, Steven. I I mean, it's a it's an incredible performance by both of them because yeah. you feel like, I don't know, it, it's kind of like a skin crawly scene because. It is. The, the. The height at which they are high is very uncomfortable. Like yes. to be that out of control in your own mind that you would consider killing yourself. Like it's just, ugh, it's yeah. so it's rough to think about. For sure. Yeah. But it was an uncomfortable scene. Oh, yeah. It was very uncomfortable. Yeah. And then, you know, we kind of talked about last week, like the weird age difference kind of between them. And I wonder, like, when that man who is actually Mark Frost is yes. walking through the woods with his dog and sees them, like Gersten kind of freaks out. Now, maybe it's just because they are so stoned and they don't want to be, or because they have a gun and they don't want to be seen like in this, um, in this way. But, so, but part of it was like, oh, do you not want to be seen together? Like, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, a strange scene. We have to assume, I guess, that Stephen has killed himself. Oh, gosh. Unless he just Which shot is, the gun off, but. Well, and then that's just harrowing. I mean, like, yeah, I, yeah. like I said, it was a tough scene. It was very uncomfortable for me. And. Like, what a way to just, go. Yeah. And it was, like you said, a skin crawly scene. Just like, ooh, you know, back yeah. to that CD-ish part yes. or theme of Twin Peaks, yeah. right? Yeah, 100%. All right, well, let's head over to the roadhouse where James says hello to Renee and <laughs> all hell kind of breaks loose. So, okay, so James says, it's nice to see you again, Renee. He thinks it's friendly. I think there's an undertone of it's a bit much, man. Like, yeah. nice to see you again. I think that can be misconstrued in a couple of ways. I think James would have been better just saying like, hey, Renee, hey, everyone, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I don't appreciate this. I felt sorry for James, okay? Wow. <laughs> I told you, <laughs> I don't appreciate it, all right? I'm coming on the record and saying yeah, that right now. Yeah. Um, But in all seriousness, I, I started thinking back to when James first showed up at the roadhouse and Shelly was like, hey, you know, he's been through some stuff, right? Yeah. And Because they were calling him weird. And... This just kind of summed it up for me, though, because it was like he had a hard time getting his words out and making, like, a cohesive thought to Chuck, you know? Right. And then when they started beating him up, I was just like, all right, like, leave this poor guy alone. I mean, yeah, he could have said it better. He could have done it differently. I don't know... Honestly, when we're talking about timelines, I don't know if this was before or after or during or where this scene might have fallen into the timeline. But when he's doing his song at the Roadhouse, I mean, she's moved to tears. Yes. There's clearly so, something between them. Yes, exactly. And so, and also when he's talking to Freddie, you know, he's like, she's married. And he's like, I know, you yeah, know, like, yeah. 
But I don't appreciate you making me feel sorry for James because, you know, I don't <laughs> like his ass. OK. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I don't know if I I don't know if I feel for James or if I just felt like the whole situation. It was a shame that it went down that way. You know, like yeah. I, I don't know if it's necessarily directed at me feeling any kind of way towards James or if it's just like, oh, well, that sucks. Especially I mean, I mean, fuck Chuck kind of. But Ugh. he is. He's not going to be okay, I don't think, after what Freddie does. You know, <laughs> Freddie's glove is supernatural. It's not meant for, I mean, human consumption is the wrong way to say it, but you know what I mean. You're not supposed yeah. to use that on a human, you know? This is right. like a supernatural entity. Yeah, exactly. It's not supposed to be, you're not supposed to just be punching randos out with this. You're supposed to be using it for something specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense that they wind up in jail. It's interesting who is sort of uh, collecting in the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department. Um, right. This, this whole scene, it really reminded me in a way of in Fire Walk With Me when they're in the Canadian uh, bar and the music is really loud. And the way that they chose to kind of edit it, it's like they don't turn the music down so that we can hear the dialogue better. It, it very much feels like you're right there in the bar with them. Yes, which I, I agree. I thought that was interesting. I think it just like really heightens the tension and makes things feel like really sort of volatile in a way. For sure, yeah. You know about death, that it's just a change, not an end. All right, well, it is time to go to the log lady's cabin for the last time. Uh. So, okay, well, here come the tears again. Yeah, here they come, <laughs> I know. This is, so when you, like way back when, when we were covering maybe the first season or beginnings of the second season, and you had mentioned how much you were loving the log lady, I was thinking ahead to this scene, and I was just saying, well, there is something so beautiful coming with the log lady, I can't wait to get there, even though it does mean that it's sort of the end of this character. I just think, this is what I mean when I say that this episode is a gift, because Catherine Coulson, who plays Margaret Lanterman, was obviously also dying while she was filming these scenes. And it's such, I mean, what a beautiful thing to give to the fans, to give to the universe of Twin Peaks, to say yes to doing this project when you are actually that sick and to bring us into your world and to be intimate with us in that way and to show us just the the reality of what it's like to be that sick and and very close to death it's just you know later on when hawk gathers everybody to tell them that oh my god i can't even control it I that know. the log lady is is has <sighs> passed away it feels like real tears for a real friend you know yes yes for sure i got oh the tears <laughs> i've already got the together. tears <laughs> i know like wow i sh- should have really loaded up on coffee before this because <laughs> I am an emotional mess. I mean, obviously, I was tearing up when we were talking about, you know, Ed and Norma, but this took it to a whole nother level. It was a beautiful tribute to not only such an important character on the show, but for the actress as well. And just when they say goodbye or, or good night and then go, I know I've got, okay, I've got chill bumps. I got <laughs> tears. I'm croaking up a little bit and it just, 
it got me. That got me way more in the feels than Ed and Norma. I was already there. And then this just took it to like a whole nother level. I mean. Yeah. It's a different kind of tear though, you know, like. Yeah. 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 And man, what a legacy. Yeah. I just feel like it's just, I don't know. It just feels so important that, that this woman gave us this time with her. I know. It's very, very selfless for her to be in the condition that she's in, in real life, right? Yeah. But yeah. that she's kind enough to come back and also kind enough for them to obviously, like, write it into her story, right? Yeah. Because... Yeah. You would think that if you're going through this personally, this might be an escape for you. But just for her to allow them to write in that the log lady is also sick and is also dying, I just cannot. I mean. Like, this moment, this sequence, feels bigger and more impactful than most seasons of television ever accomplish. That's for sure. That is for sure. I mean, it's incredible. And the line that she says, you know about death, it's just a change, not an end. That is one of my favorite lines of dialogue ever of all time. It is so beautiful. It is. And also her describing it to Hawk, you know, like there's some fear. Oh, I, you know. I know. I just was thinking, wow. And real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I am a mess. Oh. Yeah. Welcome to uh, Damn Fine TV where we just cry for an yeah. hour. <laughs> <laughs> this was like, this was coming. I figured it was coming, but I, I just, sure. yeah, I was not prepared for it at all, you know? Yeah. But I'm so glad that it is a part of this season and a part of this show. I cannot imagine it happening any other way. It just. Right. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. It sounds so cheesy, but I feel honestly blessed to feel this way about a character. I agree. I agree. And it, uh, it's another beautiful, although bittersweet ending and arc to a character, you know, it's different than Nadine for obvious reasons, but still a beautiful arc that they've given her and, all of the wisdom, all of the knowledge, you know, a lot of people dismissing her as, you know, well, in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Dismissing yeah. her as the crazy log lady, you know, but she was so much more and, oh gosh. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't have the words. I really don't have the words. It is hard to put words around all of these emotions, you know, like we can describe yeah. what was happening, but it is, it is just something that you feel. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's something you feel. That's feel. right. Feel, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, well, let's wipe our tears again. Okay, yeah, wow. And I think the tears might be done for now. <laughs> <laughs> for a little bit anyway. I feel yeah. like there's more tears to come in episode 16, too, but again, it's a different kind of tear. It's like an excited tear, but yes. we'll get there. Yes, we'll get there. <sighs> for now, let's check in with Audrey and Charlie, who are <laughs> basically just still arguing. They don't really get much further here except, you know, just more questions about what's really happening with Audrey. Who is Charlie really? Um, The biggest thing for me in this scene is that I can't remember the exact wording, um, but Charlie says we're waiting at the threshold or we're standing on the threshold or something. Mm -hmm. And, 
Of course, there's a lot of like sort of mundane ways to look at the word threshold. Like you have a, a threshold for pain um, in like in old school, like interpretations of weddings or like depictions of marriages, that kind of thing. Like a husband would carry his wife over the threshold of their house. That was like a rite right. of passage. Right. So there's those right. way to, ways to look at it. But Previously in Twin Peaks, we've heard the word threshold described by Hawk when he's talking about the dweller on the threshold. And he's like, Mm -hmm. I believe it's in season two, and he's explaining some of the sort of lodge magics to Cooper. And so he talks about this dweller on the threshold as being a kind of shadow self. And he was warning Cooper, essentially, that like, you must face this dweller, sort of your unresolved energies or the quote-unquote darker parts of you, the the parts that you ignore, and that's the final step to a kind of perfection, to a kind of crossing over. And we know that Cooper didn't manage to do this, right? Because obviously his doppelganger got out. Right. But I think it's just interesting to think about Audrey and Charlie also being at a kind of threshold space. And, you know, there's been a lot of sort of purposefully strange dialogue between them. You know, we talked about the idea of them having a contract for their marriage. Now, again, that could have just been the literal marriage contract, right? Or it could have meant something more. You know, there was this additional contract to the reason that they got married. And this threshold could literally just be, you know, we're waiting at the door. We're just waiting to leave this space, whatever it is. But to me, I don't know if we're connecting it with the language of the show. I have to assume that there is some sort of lodge something here, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like she's at the threshold. This is how I was interpreting it. And I'm, I might save some of this for the next episode yeah, okay. because because we get more in the next one. But... I kept thinking to myself, all right, this whole notion to get to the roadhouse, right? Yeah. And them being stuck at the door or at the threshold, it's, it's going, it's got to mean something more for Audrey to get there, but she's, she can't for some reason, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. And that and I, I guess that's kind of what I mean also by using the term threshold. That feels much yeah. bigger than just saying we need to exit or we need right. to walk out the door. You know, it's a very like purposefully heightened uh, word to use, basically. Right. Because there's something else on the other side, maybe perhaps yes, yes. waiting, but we got to get you there. And that. That means leaving this space, which is this house, and getting you to the next destination, the roadhouse. Right. It's it's some kind of passageway or portal yeah. or, you know, it's something you have to walk through for a change to happen. Did you call me five days ago? I don't have your number. All right, well, there is one more scene at the Roadhouse, but I think we'll come back to that after we're done with everything else. So for now, let's head to a dark and windy road 
where the space between the forest and the lodge, between wood and electricity, is more porous than ever as Mr. C travels through the trees to meet with Philip Jeffries. So we've arrived at the convenience store again, which, you know, we had kind of speculated, can it just flicker in and out of existence? Can it change locations? And to me, this kind of feels like it can in a way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, in the end, you know, after he was done with his business in there, mm-hmm. it kind of flickered off. Yeah. You know, Flick, flickered off. Well, but it's true. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I love that, too. Um, I mean, I love the fact that he literally travels through the phone wires from the yeah. inside to the outside. Because we've seen so much emphasis on phone poles on like electrical poles and the way that you know things are transmitted in this way in the world of Twin Peaks and then we see a more literal reading of it in a way which is so cool yes I agree so what do you think of the new Philip Jeffries well (laughs) my has he changed (laughs) I know (laughs) okay I'm gonna tell you what it looked like to me yes I can't wait and It gave me a little bit of a chuckle, even though I don't think you were supposed to be chuckling during that scene. (laughs) But it looked like a big, at first I was thinking it looked like a big teapot. Yes. You know, an old, and then this thought popped into my mind and I was like, is he in a percolator? Because how funny would it (gasps) be if he, you know, just for shits and giggles, you know, that this thing is set up to look like a percolator, which we know all about the fish is in the percolator. Yes, I really love that. I Yeah, I've always seen it as some kind of teapot or kettle, particularly because the way that he seems to communicate those numbers comes through a kind of a steam. Right, right, exactly. But the percolator also makes sense, and that totally <laughs> fits in with Twin Peaks. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, oh, Jeffries is now in the percolator. It's no longer the fish. <laughs> yes, exactly. He swapped, yeah. It's the evolution of the fish in the percolator. <laughs> the evolution of the fish, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, this sequence, the whole thing is so cool. The way that they travel through the trees to get to this, um, like this is the Dutchman, this motel, you know, that's what Ray was talking about. And it, it reminds me a little bit of the shot that we get as the sheriff's department guys are heading to Jack Rabbit's palace, or I guess when they're heading east of Jack Rabbit's palace. So it feels very similar to that, but of course everything's really dark and, and it's like nighttime, like full on nighttime. So we're getting a much different, depiction of that traveling through the trees but it's such an echo and it's just so beautifully done I mean the way things flicker in and out of existence the I mean we get the flower wallpaper so we know we are in a similar space to what Laura was seeing through that painting it's just oh I love everything about this and the weirdness of Philip Jeffries is just on any other show it would be so dumb but it's so a part of this world that it's like, oh, wow, this is this is incredible. Yeah, I agree. And I also thought the exchange between them where Mr. C asked if he called him five days ago. Yeah. I love how he was like, I don't have your number. I know. But the whole time I <laughs> But the whole time I was thinking, I was like, and how in the hell would he dial you anyway? He's a percolator. <laughs> Get he it together have here. Fingers. Doesn't have a body. <laughs> So silly. But I do have a question. So mm. this this motel looked 
a lot to me like the one, and I believe it was in Fire Walk With Me, where Leland shows up and he sees Ronette and yep. Laura. Yeah. Okay, so is it the same place? I feel like it must be. Okay, because I was like, am I going crazy here and just trying to, like, connect things? No, not at all. I mean, it really does feel like the same kind of courtyard space. It's just obviously it's different lighting. It's different color palette. So it definitely looks different. And, I mean, I think this kind of fits in, too, with our our theory that the convenience store can flicker in and out of space and the idea that most lodge spirits have a kind of real world counterpart in a way. Like I bet there Mm -hmm. is a real world Dutchman's that also holds this lodge energy kind of underneath it or maybe above it in the woods or something like that. For sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Cause I was like, am I grasping it? It's just a, it's just a dilapidated version of what we saw. Yeah, exactly. In that. And I mean, it's been 25 years, so. Yeah, so it's probably run down by now if nobody's been visiting it. Yes, exactly. Or if the woodsmen are taking care of it. I mean, they don't even take care of themselves, uh, so. They don't bathe. <laughs> no, they right. do not. So I don't see them doing any type, type of uh, housekeeping. <laughs> no, no maintenance, yeah. Um, but so there's some plotty bits that we should maybe talk about because, I mean, your introduction this week was wondering who Judy is, but apparently... Yeah. Mr. C has already met Judy. Oh, I've got so many. You know, my mind was going <laughs> 90 to nothing with Judy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Judy. Okay. This is the first thing that popped to my mind was Garland Briggs. Mm, mm-hmm. And Judy Garland. Yeah. They share a name in a capacity. So I was like, is he talking about Major Briggs? I love that. Then I went along the path of, well, if it's quote unquote female, let's just say. Right. Is it, is Judy mother? And is mother in some way or capacity? And don't ask me to explain this because my mind just went there, but I had no factual basings on how this could come together. If it even... But then I was like, is it Sarah Palmer? I don't know. Yeah. Those were the two big things that came up into my mind. Well, I mean, I I love all of this. It's so great. I am so appreciative that you made the whole um, Judy Garland, Garland Briggs connection, because that's something that I did my first time around. And I was like, no, that's batshit. Don't like, don't tell (laughs) anyone you ever thought that. But Here I once am. I learned that David Lynch actually really enjoyed Wizard of Oz, I was like, oh, shit. Okay. I mean, even yeah. if he's just using these names to sort of pay homage to that film, I mean, that's interesting in itself. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I love the track you're going down. I'm obviously not going to say anything more, but these are great thoughts. Okay, good. So, adult, I because I also felt crazy. I mean, I was like, Judy Garland, Garland Briggs? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I know, right? It it feels like a funny connection to make, but. Yeah. Because especially because he said you've already met Judy. Yeah. And. So then I was like, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if he's met unless I've missed something, met Sarah Palmer, Mr. C that is. But I, we all know that he's met Major Briggs. Right. Yeah. Well, and. There's some sort of ambiguity in whether or not Philip Jeffries thinks that this is 
Cooper Cooper or if he knows that it's Mr. C because he says, oh, you are Cooper. Yeah. Which could mean kind of either of them, really. Like, I mean, there's no real delineation in that, in the way that he presents that. So I'm not sure. But I do like the way that you're connecting Judy with Mother as well, because I think that we've seen in season three, although the energy feels a little bit more masculine in a sense, there's a heavy emphasis on mothers. I mean, right. Sarah Palmer, um, Janie E, the nine, uh, the 119 mother, um, mother yep. in general, like my mother is coming, we have to be quiet, whatever that was. I mean, there's all of that, so... And then if Philip Jeffries didn't call Mr. C, who was it that called and said, I will be with Bob again, right? I know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's good connections. I love the track you're on. We'll have to put a pin in it for there, I think. Okay. Pin is in. All right. Pin is in on my board. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that board must be intense. It's crazy. It's it's taking up 99% of my brain, so. <laughs> I'm not worried. Everything will be fine. The old team together again. Nothing can stop us. Get Gordon Cole. Let's head over to Las Vegas where there's too many kids uh, in the FBI office. <laughs> Chantel and Hutch are wrapping up loose ends, and the Dougie storyline leaves us with a very shocking cliffhanger. Yes. So, I mean, kids, uh, there's not much more to say about that except for Wilson fucked up. You know, he's going to be in trouble sure. for that. <laughs> Listen, Wilson cannot get it together. No. All right. Wilson I needs need to go to HR. He is not he being treated it. properly. <laughs> no, I mean, bless his heart. I think he's probably doing the best that he can. I mean, there were a lot of Dougie or, well, Douglas, excuse me, Jones, you know, in the area. We found that out last week, right? And he's, like, pulled in this family. And, yeah, just the way that that guy reacts to kids. And you could just hear him screaming and everything. I was like, well, first of all, I know you don't have the right one. Yeah. (laughs) And second of all, Wilson, you are going to get your ass chewed out. Okay. Big time. Wilson. Wilson. It reminds (laughs) me of, what is it from the Flintstones? Is it Wilma? It's Wilma. Yeah. But you know what I you know what I think about every time I hear Wilson and, and yelling like that is Castaway. <laughs> oh my god, of course. Yes. Because <laughs> he used to get so mad at Wilson, the volleyball. Yeah, that poor volleyball. <laughs> what know, a tough life. Got, what a tough life, that poor thing. Uh yeah, and then Chantal takes out Duncan Todd and Roger, and like I said, they're just kind of tying up loose ends. The gunshots here and the effects. Um I saw a lot of people, you know me, I'm always on Reddit looking for the wildest theories. I saw a lot of people saying like, oh my God, these effects were so bad. It makes me laugh. But like, I feel like it was purposefully done this way. And it really echoes when Mr. C shot Philip Hastings, the way that it kind of, like, I don't know what else to call it except for like it reverberated. Like it was like, it was really strange the way it was done. And it makes me feel like there's, I mean, I don't know. It's like a break in reality almost, or it's like a um, a glitch in the matrix sounds stupid, but like, it's like glitchy, you know? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree because also when we saw like Bill Hastings, when we saw his head get ripped open, it looked the yes. same. Yes. Like the same graphics, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I think it just, 
I think it just ties all of those deaths together in a way. Yes, yes. Um, And then they have some more, quote unquote, deep conversations over food. You know, the government kills people, too. They torture people, too. And we haven't had time in in ages to torture. It's fucked. (laughs) I know, right? I live for their conversations because it really is amazing dialogue between the two of them. Yeah, I really enjoy it, too. And I love how after she kills them, you know, she's like, lots of ketchup for the fries. Yeah. You know, and then she's always about off food. About the ketchup packets, which I was <laughs> like, hey, I get that though. Like when we get a ton of ketchup packets with like a delivery or something, I just get out the bottle of ketchup from the fridge. Like it, I'm not here for same. the packets. <laughs> same. Yes. <laughs> All right. And then finally, over to the Jones house where Dougie has some cake and watches TV. I know. I was super proud of him for figuring out the clicker. Okay. I mean, it took a couple tries, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he got there and I was like, hey, way to go. I'm so proud of you, Dougie. You're making some progress here. And then boom. Yes. (laughs) Big progress. Oh, I I will say this. When he, because obviously he's triggered when he hears Gordon Cole on the movie. And then he gets this idea to stick his fork in the electrical socket. Mm -hmm. Now, did he really click on that TV? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, hmm. but that electrical outlet was like right ne- right next to the TV, but there was no TV plugged into it. Oh wow. I mean, that could be I, and I'm and while I was watching this on my rewatch, I started looking at the electrical outlets around my own home. Okay, yeah. Because I started thinking, well, I mean, yeah, there could just be an extra electrical outlet right there. And there could be another one like behind the TV. But this just seems like awful close. And that could be a total like whatever, not even on the radar. This is interesting, though. I really like this. Because I was thinking to myself, it took him a few times to get the clicker on, right? Or well, to get the TV on, excuse me. To find the right button to push, sure. To find the right button. And it happens to be on this movie where they mention Gordon Cole and then he goes straight for the electrical outlet. I don't know. I was thinking, is this like something from Mike? Is this something? We didn't see him like we have seen in the past, right? Like we've had hints of, okay, come into this, obviously come into this coffee shop and buy this cherry pie. It's going to save your life type deal, right? (laughs) Don't worry, but your I don't boss know. will pay for it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, somebody's going to pay for it. I still don't know who paid for that slice of cherry pie when um, Anthony was trying to poison him. Oh, he just yeah. went in there and got it. But probably put it nonetheless, on tab. Yeah, nonetheless, I was like, I don't know. Is it plugged in or not? And that could just be me, again, reaching for things. No, I think this is an excellent observation because, I mean, who cares even if it was plugged in somewhere else? The idea that you're right, the the idea that it's on the exact channel of the precise movie at the exact moment when Gordon yeah. Cole is going to be spoken. And like, yeah, we didn't see Mike, but I mean, there's been other instances of sort of lodge spirits coming to sort of guide Dougie along his way. Right. And this could have just right. been another one of those moments. I love that. That's incredible. Yay. All right. Because I. I put it in my notes and I was like, she's going to probably be like, no, man, it it was just plugged in behind that console. You just didn't see it. But you know what? That's what I mean. Like, even if it was, 
I still think that there's a, a big possibility that this was sort of an intervention from Lodge Spirits or, or whatever you want to call it, right? Like, I mean, yeah. who cares if it was plugged in? The coincidence of it happening at this exact moment is pretty incredible. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. All right. I'll pat myself on the back for that one. I love it. I love it. And yeah, the fact that the electrical socket is empty. I don't know. I, I really like this observation. Yay. All right. Well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's that's quite an ending there. And Janie E is obviously terrified and she's screaming. And the reason I wanted to leave the final roadhouse scene for this moment is because, I mean, basically what we see is this poor young woman is basically ejected from the booth that she is sitting in. And then she's crawling across the floor until she gets to a certain point and then starts screaming. And it just really reminds me, I mean, maybe it's just an echo, but Dougie crawls across the floor. He gets mm-hmm. to a certain point and he doesn't necessarily scream, but Janie is screaming. And yes. so there's something there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. I agree. I like the the parallel between those two things. Okay. So we're here. One now. Pay attention. I'll find out. All right, so episode 16, overall thoughts, Mel's? Oh, gosh. I think that says it I, all. <laughs> that, okay, I have never been so excited. I said this before, I know, but I literally rolled off my couch <laughs> when certain things happened in this episode. I was blown away so excited, so happy, um, man, I, and that's not just with the obvious things that happened, mm-hmm. um, how we ended the episode, I was like, wow, blown away, and mm-hmm. how we started the episode, I love that we, and I guess I could go ahead and say this, because we're going to get into it, but I love how we started and ended the episode with some horns, <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, anywho, yes, it was a fantastic, fantastic episode. I loved it. I loved, I laughed. I cried. I screamed with joy. (laughs) I went through a lot of emotions during this episode. Yeah, I mean, I've got in my notes here, this is a big one. It feels like so much happens in this episode, and I think overall in season three, the pace is a little bit slower. There's not, I mean, it's not that there's nothing happening. And obviously, I mean, most of our podcasts have reached almost two hours. So there's definitely not a lack of, you know, detail to talk about in these episodes, but it doesn't have the same, you know, season one and season two, it's so soap operatic in certain ways that there's just like so much happening in each episode. Like the drama is kind of turned up to 11 in certain episodes, right? Whereas right. this, it kind of just feels like a huge gust of wind comes in. And it's it's in a good way. It's like there's been no breeze and all of a sudden you just get this beautiful breeze. But yeah, yeah it's just there's so much going on. Everyone is waking up or having these kind of awakenings. I mean, and then the other aspect of it is that it does feel a little bittersweet. I think bittersweet could describe both part 15 and part 16. But with Uh part 16, you kind of start realizing, okay, there's two hours left of this season. And so, yes, we are getting, you know, 
Cooper comes back. We get a big reveal about Diane. We get kind of a big reveal a little bit, you know, further on with the Audrey story. But there's only two hours left. So even though Cooper is back, there's only two hours to spend with him. And we're also saying goodbye to Dougie. So in a way, it, it, it also kind of feels like the beginning of the end. Yeah. Listen, you know, I've said this. Mm-hmm. I started to get attached to Dougie. Yes. So so when you said that last week, I was like, yep, as soon as you really, really love him, he's going to get <laughs> taken away from you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'm going to be honest. I love, like, if it's uh, cinema, if it's TV, if it's movies, I kind of actually love when that happens. And whether or not it's you get attached to a character and then they end up dying or something like this where you get attached to them and then they get taken away in this aspect. I I really love that because it's, a, it's oddly satisfying. Like, yes. it's bittersweet. I hate to say goodbye to Dougie. But I'm very, very excited to have Coop back. Of course. And I totally know what you mean by that because I think that there, to me, it feels that the the filmmaker or the director of the television show or the showrunner, whatever, they understand what kind of emotion this is going to create for people. And it's not, mm. they're not just taking away a character just because, you know, right. they actually have plotted it out. They've thought about the timing and they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it for a purpose. It is done to, I mean, not manipulate with our emotion, not manipulate our emotions, but to properly impact them. Right. Yeah. I yeah. would agree with that. All right, well, let's kick things off on another dark and windy road where we're just having like a good old father-son road trip that just goes <laughs> really bad, you know? Yeah, it didn't end up the way I thought it was going to. <laughs> no, which is but like, I don't know if you felt this way, but there's a moment there where I'm like, I really actually kind of want them to just have a father-son relationship. Like, I kind of just want them to go out and play catch like Dougie and Sonny Jim. <laughs> right. I don't know what their version of catch would be, like no. catching somebody and killing them, maybe. I don't but... know, throwing around a severed head or something. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Could you <laughs> imagine a severed head just hitting Mr. C in the shoulder? Like, Oh, um... my God. Yes, because he wouldn't, like, want to play, right? He doesn't no. want anything, so. Hey, this ain't nursery school. He's yeah. not here to play, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, what an end to Richard Horn. I mean, this is the perfect send-off for this character. I don't think you could feel any better or any more satisfied with saying goodbye to this person. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye, Richard. Goodbye, my son. <laughs> goodbye, my son. Oh, wow. I mean, the deception. Because, yes. I mean, obviously, Mr. C knew, or in some way knew that something was up and he wasn't fixing to go up on that rock. So why not just send Richard? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's so, it's so Mr. C. He has no attachment to anything. And really for him, this is just, oh, okay. So those coordinates were a bust. Moving on then. You know, like it's just so, everything is read so plain and simple to him. There's just, I don't know. I, I just love that character so much. And you know what? I don't even think we mentioned when we talked about the last episode that Richard even showed up, did he? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's how they kind of connected. Yeah. And I loved when Richard showed up and he was like, you're FBI. 
Yes. And, you know, and he's like, how do you know? And I was like, oh, here we go. You know, he's like, my, my mom, Audrey of Horn, course, had pictures yeah. of you. So, yeah. yeah. So continuing that on to, okay, well, father and son are now together. And you kind of want to see in some sadistic, I guess, way, like what kind of destruction they could cause together. Because right. we both know that they're both assholes, right? Yeah. Like, to put that it asshole gene. Yeah, it, it, Richard got it strong. And then just for Mr. C to turn around and, and deceive him like this, I mean, I was, that's the first time I rolled off the couch. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I know. Yes. It's, it's, oh, it's so cool. Um, yeah, sorry. I did totally fail to mention that Richard shows up at the convenience oh. store. And, you know, of course, okay. you had already guessed it. You guessed it so early on. I was so proud of you. But it is the first <laughs> time that we get the full confirmation that Audrey is his father. And so, you know, that's how he's connected to the Horn family. But um, I think Cooper was, or Mr. C was kind of testing him in a way. That weird way that he asks him, do you understand a place? Right. And yeah. I, I wonder if Mr. C was like, how much of the lodge did Richard inherit? If that makes mm, sense. Like how much I love of him, that. how much of him can connect with me on that level? And I don't think Richard passed the test. No, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he just point blank looked at him and was like, the place, you yes, know, just kind of exactly. like what? And yeah. I'm pretty sure that's when Mr. C was like, all right, your ass is going up the rock. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> now, what do you think about Jerry Horn? Like, no. Oh. So in one reading for me, this is really sad because although he's using the binoculars wrong, right? Yeah. Like he's not, yeah. I, I don't even understand if he can, uh, I don't, I don't know if he even understands that that's his nephew or his, yeah, his great nephew. Right. Um, right. Right. But, like, I've seen some pretty wild but also fun theories that Jerry has been going on this journey through the woods to get to this exact moment because there was something to do with the binoculars that helped, like, set off the electricity. The same kind of way where you would, like, you know, like a shitty kid is frying ants with, like, a magnifying glass Mm -hmm. underneath the sun. Mm -hmm. So yeah, similar yeah. kind of thing, although I don't think it would work the same, especially at night. But yeah, so I, I kind of like know. that. I do, too, because he's been on this like really wild trip. Right. Which you could also just say he had too many edibles and <laughs> coincidence, coincidence. He wound up at this point at this particular time. But I think it's a cool theory. I like that because they're OK. I'm sitting here thinking about it because like you said, the shitty kids with that fry the ants, they're using the magnifying glass, which is like what obviously binoculars are in some way, right? Yes. He's using he's using them wrong. So it almost makes you uh-huh. think like the way that he puts it up, if the end that magnifies everything is actually focused out towards Richard. Yes. Right. And then maybe those spotlights that are on top of Mr. C's truck, because they're bright. Ah, yes. Maybe it was something like that. I just love, actually, I really love this, because I love thinking that Jerry really actually would be the reason for the demise of He plays a bigger part, yeah. Oh, and it would give some, something towards his 
journey through the woods because bless (laughs) his heart. I mean, he's been ready to chop off his own foot. He's been yelling about where his car is at. I mean, he's been on one hell of a journey here. Yes. (laughs) Season three has been just a wild ride. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, And then the final thing from this scene is the text message that Mr. C sends, just a smiley face all. But Mm. at this moment in time, it is not sent. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's like he doesn't Uh have service or something, but the text doesn't go through. Yep, I did notice that. I did. Mm. I played detective later on when it was received, too. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff there, eh? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I like it. Okay. Well, I think probably the, it's very eerie that he puts the nose into the face. I I get it. You want to make sure it's red as the smiley face, but the nose, I don't know. It always feels extra to me. So That's very extra. It's so Mr. C. It's so Mr. C. It's the way he does all caps all the time because he's just so like, you know, turned up all the way all the time. Yes, yes. Okay, now, I had a question about this interaction, though, because Mr. C apparently has three sets of coordinates. Right. So, two match. Yeah. Okay? And then he's got another one. Where did he get all... Okay, I know he got one set of coordinates from uh, Philip Jeffries, right? That's what he poofed out of the percolator. Okay, that's what I thought, too. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they are the same coordinates. They appeared to start off the same way as the ones that were on Ruth's arm. Okay. Now, where did he... Because if we're going in sequential order, that he sends that all, even though it doesn't get delivered at that time... I don't know. Maybe we should Maybe we should save this for when we get to Diane. But I'm just wondering where he got all of these coordinates from. Yeah. No, you're right, because, like... It seems like Diane sends the coordinates back in response. Exactly. And so where did he get two matching ones, unless he got some from Judy? So were the matching ones, he got coordinates from Ray, right? Oh, that's right. How could I forget that? But I never knew if that was just the same coordinates that were also on Ruth's arm. And... If Gordon and Albert set it up for Diane to read those coordinates and maybe they fucked with the picture somehow or something, like if that was a setup to see what she would do with that information, and then I could see Ray also being set up, or not not Ray being set up, but Ray being given coordinates that were also incorrect that could also lead to this spot on this rock. That would yeah. electrify him and sort of sacrifice him back to the lodge or whatever. I um, like it. Okay. Yeah. And then there's the the other coordinates that, again, if we're going in that sequential order, he doesn't actually have yet. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, where are you getting all these coordinates from, man? Or I guess he would have also the coordinates from Jeffries. So there's kind of like four coordinates. No, there's really only three. There's one's from yeah. Ray, one from Diane, and one from Philip Jeffries. Exactly. Unless, did he have one set before he asked Ray? I, do, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think so. That's why I was very confused when he said, I've got two that match and one that doesn't. I was like, hold up. I wonder if, I mean, this would require going back to certain episodes to look at the actual coordinates, or maybe somebody on Reddit has done that work, but... 
I wonder if the coordinates that Diane sends in this episode are different because she is kind of different at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm. could be a whole new set. Could be, but the coordinates were really throwing me off here. Oh, there's some definite questions. Yeah. (laughs) What about the FBI? I am the FBI. Well, for now, let's head to Vegas. I think we'll do everything that happens in the hospital room and then we'll go elsewhere. So everyone's looking for Dougie, but they're not going to find him because Coop is back. Woo! I mean, of course, before that, though, he is still in a coma from shoving a fork (laughs) into an electrical socket. And um, it's just really cute, the community that sort of builds up around him. Bushnell is there. The Mitchums show up with some finger foods. And um, I think this really, really kind of holds up the remarks that Cooper makes later about the Mitchums having a heart of gold. Yeah, they're like not the greatest people, but the way that they just come to the hospital with all this food, they offer to stock the Joneses house. It's like, and this big like flower arrangement thing, it is really genuinely sweet. I love this act from the Mitchums. Me too. Me too. Do you know how happy I was when I heard them bumbling down the hallway before they even got in there? I was like, yes. I mean, it's hilarious. Their arc to me as well, because I started off being like, no, these bastards, like, don't (laughs) hurt my Dougie. And now I'm like, yes, help my Dougie coop all you can. Yes, I know. (laughs) And then the way that I think it's Bradley when he says, so what? It was like electricity. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, obviously, electricity is like a character in the show, essentially, right? But there's so much to do with it in these final couple of scenes. And I guess back in episode three, when um, Coop actually goes through the outlet for the first time. But the fact that he sticks the fork in the outlet, Richard gets fried by electricity. And then there's all this talk about... Like, Sunny Jim asks, does a coma have anything to do with electricity? And Bushnell is like, well, in this case, it did. And <laughs> yeah. it's just interesting how this idea of electricity is starting to seep into this world as well. Yeah, I love it. I, I had a great chuckle, though, when Bushnell was like, well, in this case, it did. I yeah. was like, well, it did. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Yeah. Um, And all things considered for him to have been fried, he looks fantastic. I mean, he looks the best he's looked in a long time. Like, he has his full coloring back, you know? Like, Dougie was always a little bit, um, I don't even know the right word for it, but it was like he was, it's like when you get sick and you kind of lose the color in your cheeks. Yeah. But it seems like, it seems like this has reinvigorated Coop, you know? Like, this has brought everything back that was missing. We do take a quick little break over to South Dakota where basically Gordon is just staring at the machines. And there is, I mean, I feel like there's a strong connection between what Gordon is witnessing and what's going on with the machines in Coop's hospital room. I mean, there's a direct They sound similar. Yes, exactly. It's almost like there's beeping that uh, mirrors like the heart monitor or whatever it might be at the hospital, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I got that same feeling. So then there's the hum. The hum that's been at the Great Northern shows up here and distracts Bushnell and Coop wakes up. And he is immediately 100%. He is just full Coop. 
Listen, this is like uh, Coop 2.0. This is like Coop um, after he got shot in the gut. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. do you remember, you know, and like he was in the hospital and they're like, you just took a slug to the gut. And he's like, I'm fine. Yeah. Like, I'm, I loved it because it was just, for me, it was reminiscent of that where he wakes up and he's like, and he says, nurse, I no longer need this IV. I'm sure if you check my vitals, they'll be A-OK. And I'm just like, I love it. Yes, yes. It is just, I don't know. It's like, um, it's like somebody comes and pick you, picks you up and just says, everything's going to be fine. Like, it's just yeah. such a, it's like a beautiful embrace of just making sure, yeah, it's all going to be OK. You know, like you just are inspired with so much confidence to see to see Coop just so fully himself and like, give me those sandwiches. I'm going to need to borrow that gun. I know. Uh, get the Mitchums on the line. And oh my goodness. Hand me my suit. Yes. I need to get dressed. Move over, Janie. I'll drive. And I, I mean, when the Twin Peaks theme comes in, I am oh, just man. a mess. Just yeah. a mess. That was the second time I fell off the couch. <laughs> <laughs> It's so perfect that that theme comes swirling in at this moment. It's that's yeah. that's the other part of it that just you feel like you're just in a warm embrace of like everything yeah. is going to be okay. And um you know, I think at this point probably a lot of people had maybe assumed, yeah, maybe Coop's not coming back. You know, maybe this yeah. is the new Coop. And then all of a sudden it's just so fully Dale Cooper. It's really incredible. Um, I love when he calls the Mitchums and they're just, they're ready to go. They, they get the jet gassed up and <laughs> they make that little comment like, oh, what's Dougie up to now? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that because it's like, okay, we've seen Dougie throughout this whole season, right? Where would you ever just calmly be like, I wonder what Dougie's up to? Yeah. Because <laughs> this is the most commanding that he's been. He's been barely speaking sentences. I not know. even speaking sentences. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> and I, it's like you get the call and it's like gas up the jet and I need to go to this specific spot. And these are your orders. And it's like, I wonder what Dougie's up to. It's like, hello. And they're like, he sure is talking a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's just it. another one of those things that the Mitchums do. It's similar to the finger sandwiches and stocking the, the house with food. They're just like, they are just so happy to help this man. It's just, yeah. I don't know. It gives me the warm and fuzzies. I really love it. It does. And I also, I had a great chuckle too when they were like, girls, we're going on a plane ride. Just like it's no big deal. You <laughs> know? know, it's like. That's the thing of it. It was nothing to them. Sure, yeah. we can do that. Absolutely. No problem. Like, no question. Yeah. Rod tells him, gas up the jet. He picks up his phone. He's like, jets, we're, girls, we're going on a plane ride. We're going to, going to Spokane. <laughs> oh, I love it. And, I mean, of course, before that, when Dougie is getting ready to leave and he leaves um, Bushnell oh. with a little piece of paper for Gordon Cole, should he call? And then he, Bushnell says, what about the FBI? I am the FBI. I mean, what a line. What a line. I teared. Yeah. Right. I know. I teared out of excitement. It's like, oh my God, he is the FBI. (laughs) I know. I was like, finally, yes, you are the FBI and you're back. (laughs) Yeah. And it really, I, I can't remember exactly what scene it is, but it's in maybe season one or season two. I think he's at the Great Northern or maybe he's at the Sheriff's Department, but he turns to the side in the same kind of way and gives a thumbs up. And the only thing that was missing from yeah. this scene was the thumbs up. It, I know. I was really hoping for that thumbs up, but I was like, you know what? He just got out of a coma. It's okay. 
I'm going to give them a break. Well, what's funny is that in my mind, I remembered it having a thumbs up because it feels like such a, a thumbs up moment, you know, yeah. but yeah. It, it's, yeah. yeah, it's not there, but okay. Let's head over to Lancelot court. I mean, what a day this street is having, uh, Chantal and Hutch are waiting for Dougie. The FBI shows up, uh, the Mitchums show up and then Zawaski, this like in, intense accountant person shows up and all goes to hell for Chantal and Hutch. I mean, this, we are cutting back and forth between the hospital during all of this sequence of events, but to think about it consecutively, it's like, holy shit, things just went left really quick. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Poor Wilson. Oh my God. (laughs) But you know what? This is a win for Wilson, I think. Although it's strange that the FBI does nothing while all of this is happening. He's still going to get his man on this. Yeah, exactly. I was like, are you going to get out of the car? He's just like going ham over there. (laughs) So it's sad to say goodbye to Chantal and Hutch for sure. I think this is exactly the way they would have wanted to go out, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, any other any other way would not fit them at all. No, they went down in a blaze of glory. Eh, Maybe they weren't so glorious, but still, they went down doing what they actually, I think, kind of love to do, so. Yeah, yeah, hey. A couple of weeks ago, you and I were texting. I can't remember exactly what was going on, but the point of it all is that, like, you were having a couple of stressful days, and it immediately made me think of the way Rodney says, people are very (laughs) stressed out these days, Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I said, there's a line coming in Twin Peaks that I wish I could say to you right now to make you laugh, but I can't say it yet. So go back to those weeks ago and put it in, put it into our conversation. (laughs) I love it. And it did make me laugh. I mean, he says it so like, you idiot, you know, kind of like, yeah, people are under stress. I I like it. They're shooting each other to death. They're under a lot of stress. It's a stressful time. I love at first how he's like, what the fuck kind of neighborhood is this? (laughs) (laughs) Like, where's Dougie living? Dougie, of all people, are living in a neighborhood with this much action. (laughs) I love it. And it's like the Mitchums have definitely seen something equal to this or worse. I mean, they are kind of, you know, they're involved. They're crime people. They do crime people stuff. So it's funny that they're like, you know, so blown away by the kind of neighborhood that this might be. But... They, they might hang out at the CPH, right? <laughs> I think We so. don't know. I think yeah, they're the exactly. nicest people that hang out at the CPH, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just give them 30 mil and you've got them wrapped around your finger, That's okay? True. That's true. It, it, it does have a lot to do with that 30 million, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, and um, a, and a cherry pie. Let's not very forget. Very true. Very true. And it was a great cherry pie, as they told yes. us. So yes. <laughs> One small thing uh, during Chantal and Hutch's conversation is Hutch mentions, "Hey, you remember Sammy? Yeah, he passed away." And so, if all of these, okay, so. Uh, Duncan Todd connected somehow with Mr. C. Um, The people at the box somehow connected with Mr. C. I wonder if they're talking about Sam of (gasps) Sam and Tracy. Wow. Mind blown. Right? That just went, that totally went over my head. But Uh, this was like a third watch pickup. This was like, yeah. 
That is perfect, though. Sammy passed away. Well, yeah, Sammy did pass away, if it's Sam. (laughs) That's, like, a a very nice way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love it. I mean, and it could just be, you know how Twin Peaks does that. It will have similar names and similar stories and the echoes that we talk about every single week. So it might not even be Sam of Sam and Tracy, but it was interesting to bring up anyway. I love it. All right, and now we will chat about Cooper's departure from Las Vegas. Uh, So weird the way he gets Sonny Jim and Janie E to kneel down on the casino floor. I it's a sweet moment, but it's a bizarre um, sort of direction, I guess. Like why why kneeling down on the casino floor? (laughs) That is the nastiest floor, you know. Yes, yes. And the only thing I can think is that this is where. You know, this is kind of how things got started for this new sort of iteration of Coop. Like, he had so much success and luck, and um, the casino kind of saved him in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. among many other things. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I loved that. I teared up at that because Sonny Jim was like, you know, are you coming? You know, and they're like, are you coming back? And he's like, I promise I'll be back. But as we know from the hospital, I'm assuming that Mike is just going to make another Dougie for us. I mean, right. That's what we would assume. Yeah. Cooper gives him a piece of his hair and says, do you still have the seed? And yeah, I mean, that's the idea that I get. But, you know, if if the Dougie, if the first Dougie Tulpa was made somehow from Mr. C, I think that's why he was like a gambler and was cheating on his wife and was so absent. Um, but if this new <gasps> oh. Tulpa is made from Cooper, I think he's going to be a better Dougie. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be a good hearted and wholesome Dougie. I think so. Yeah. He's going to be at least a little bit better. Right. <laughs> right. It, maybe he'll be fit like Cooper and yes. that will just make Janie very happy. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, even <laughs> if, if he's just like Dougie was for the past week of her life. That would be yeah. acceptable. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, that that's tearing up again. Really emotional. And I don't think I've ever been as impacted by it as I was this time around. I have really made a different connection with Janie and Sunny Jim during this watch. And I don't know if it's just because we're talking about it more. And so I'm seeing different sides of these characters, but I was really affected. Like I felt so bad at the idea that Janie E had this shitty husband and then all of a sudden for a week of her life, things were just finally going right. And now it's all going to end. And she does. Sunny Jim doesn't get it. And he's like, no, you're my dad. You're my dad. And that's heartbreaking. But there's something more heartbreaking about the fact that Janie E kind of gets it. She knows this isn't her husband. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Janie E. That's okay. You're going to. You're going to get a better version. I just believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad for Cooper, too, because we know he wanted a wife and a family. And yeah, his love for them actually does seem genuine. I mean, everything that he does in this sequence of events here says to me that he's been awake, like fully awake inside of this sort of shell. And he's been taking Ugh. in all of what's been going on. And he has been developing a love for this family, a, a kinship with Bushnell, um, a friendship with the with the Mitchum brothers. And I really like that decision too, because so often, you know, when people come out of these kinds of states of mind, I guess you could call it, in a television show, they revert to like, oh, I don't remember anything. But I love that yes. he does. 
I'm so glad you brought that up because I was like, oh, how am I going to get this in here? But I feel the exact same way. I was like, okay, so Coop's really been um, not just not fully awake, but this has been him and he's absorbed everything that's gone on. And he knows, you know, the importance of getting a good person back to this family, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, and that's what I mean. His love for them seems very genuine. Yeah. Whether for or not sure. it's a, a fully romantic love for Janie E, there is still um there's still a bond there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I know. And then basically the the Mitchums get their own version of like previously on Twin Peaks and um they have hearts of gold, Cooper says. And there's something about Cooper saying it that makes me believe it, you know? I believe it 100%. And I love I love how they were like, so just want to let you know, we're not, we don't really mesh with those kinds of folks, you know? And I'm talking about the law enforcement kind. And, <laughs> and Cooper is like, don't pay any mind to that. I've I've got your back. You know, yeah. I've I, that's about I've, to change. That's about to change, and they're just like, yes, yeah. And the <laughs> way that Bradley like reaches his arm over and kind of taps Rodney on the shoulder, and they're just like, they're so pleased. It's like this is what they needed to hear to to really instill it within them that like, okay, maybe they can be good people. Maybe they are good yes. people, and now they can keep moving towards that. You know. Two snaps, because that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, this was the reassurance for yes. them to know that they they are and can be really good people. Yeah. Yeah. I love we it. we know that Cooper can see more about certain people than they can see about themselves. You know? Exactly. Like he's, he's always, like, sniffing details out that people haven't told anyone. But he just, he knows that. He's so intuitive in that way. Yeah. I was going to say, that's his intuition, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, it's very exciting. They're all heading to Twin Peaks. I love the idea that the Mitchums are going with them to Twin Peaks. Me that's too. That's so exciting. Yes. Someone manufactures you. I know. Fuck you. But for now, let's head to South Dakota because Cooper's not the only one who has what we could call an awakening in this episode. Mm, uh, This is the third time I fell off my couch. Yeah. I mean, what a reveal, (laughs) right? Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't... I didn't see that coming. I'm in here to yeah. tell you right now. Yeah. My jaw was wide open. I did not see that coming at no. all. No. I mean, I don't know how you possibly could. I mean, there's been strange things about Diane, but I think you just assume that she's working with Mr. C or there's, I mean, there's something mysterious about her throughout the season, but I don't yeah. think there's anything that really tips you off that she's a tulpa. I mean, right. it's incredible. And Laura Dern in this whole scene, I mean, from the moment she gets up from the hotel bar, starts walking towards the FBI hotel room, the Mr. C intro song kicks in, which is just incredible. Yeah. Like, what a link between the characters. And then the way that she runs down that story, I mean, 
Ugh, it's it is so infuriating that uh, Laura Dern and Kyle MacLachlan and a few other people, but nobody was recognized for these roles by any of the like, you know, um, awards academy, like you know the Emmys yeah. or the Golden Globes or anything like that. Like it's just. They're doing it's incredible bullshit. work. Yes, it is total bullshit. But don't get me started on that. Do not <laughs> get me started on that because I watch these award shows and I see the awards they give out to, you know, certain shows and mm. things like that. And I'm telling you, that is some major bullshit yeah. right there. There's always such garbage. I mean, I feel like there's been certain years where the right people do really get it, but it's like, come on. I don't know. I know. What, did Modern Family really need, like, six fucking Emmys? I don't think so. Uh, especially when you've got something like this going on. Give me a break. <laughs> I know, but... Like, whatever. We we can admire it and acknowledge it because the yeah. work that she does in this scene, I mean, she's telling such a harrowing story. It's It, it comes to light that Mr. C raped her. And, um, I mean, what that's obviously horrible. But what feels even more crushing, I think, is that she's so excited to see Cooper when he shows up. She is just... I mean, it's been three to four years since anybody last heard from him. It's clear that she loved this man, whether or not always romantically or just as a person. She had so much affection for this person. And she just wants to know everything that he's been up to. And all he cares about is tell me stuff that's been going on at the FBI because it's obviously not actual Cooper, right? And that's so crushing. Right. I just, and I really get that from her in that moment. Like how disappointing that must have been how like crushing to the spirit and then the way she puts her fingers over her lips when she remembers them kissing it is like I'm there with her it's incredible it's a beautiful scene and in when I say beautiful I mean the way that Laura Dern you know yeah gave gave it to us basically right like it was phenomenal and I've never hated being right about something in my life because I I had right. thought several episodes back, right, that he did something not nice to her. Yes. And I really did not want to believe that she was sexually assaulted as well because right. we all know that he it's it's hasn't been laid out, but we all know as Richard is a product of a sexual assault mm-hmm. on Audrey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So and the one Man. saving grace is that it's Mr. C and not Cooper, you know? Right. But it is right. still this man that looks like Cooper. So it's hard. It's yes. hard to dissociate those things. But Exactly. Um, but yeah, but as soon as they kissed, everything went wrong. He took her to this convenience store, and that's where she kind of has to look back down at the text. You know, like we kind of skipped over that part, but we did talk about her getting the text and, and the coordinates that she maybe sends back out. and um, it's like this uh, smiley face all is what it's like she's been a sleeper agent and this was the the trigger word. Yeah. This was the signal to wake back up. This was up the trigger. And, and she remembers everything. And it's almost like at the convenience store part, she falters like there's missing memories or something. And she's got to look back down at the text. And then she talks about how she I'm not me. I'm at the sheriff's station. Yeah. I mean, OK. OK. <laughs> Well, when she started doing that, I was like, what the fuck is about to happen here? Mm-hmm. 
That's when I started to get nervous. I was like, um. Well, we knew she had the gun, right? Because they do that yeah. little um, kind of close-up thing on it down at the hotel bar. But Yeah, because when she started to, I was thinking, okay, obviously, like I said, I was blown away that she's a tulpa, right? Like, that wasn't what was in my mind. But I started to think, her saying, I'm not me, you know, I was like, oh, she's confessing that she's been acting like, you know, and she's been working with Mr. C, excuse me. And, you know, like, that's not like her. That's where I was going with it. And I was like, oh, no, she's got a gun. What is she going to do? Like, what is this influence that Mr. C has on her? And then boom, another boom moment, right? Yes. Yes. And it happened so quickly. Like, Tammy and Albert are so ready, so ready for this. Like, they have just been sensing that something is off for this entire conversation. And they're watching her go into that purse to get the cigarettes the first time and just, like, really watching everything she does. Right. Oh, man, it's such a journey, this scene. Like, it just keeps building and building and building. It's so incredible. Yeah, And then Tammy, Tammy's world is shaken. (laughs) Yeah, and she's like, oh, they're real. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, we see Diane in the in the red room, and she finds out she's been, fan- well, actually, she knows she was manufactured, because I know, fuck you. I uh, know, oh my gosh. Just the perfect final lines for that character, and that shot Couldn't of her be against more the red curtains. My goodness, it's just, yeah, it's like a, it's just a visual feast. It's so beautiful. It is. I've got chill bumps mm-hmm. because I was like, yes, yes. I mean, yes, I didn't really maybe want to see you here, but yes, right. I get to see you here. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so and then I, I when you had finished watching the episode, I remember I texted you and I was like, remember when she comes through the red curtains when she meets with the like with Tammy, Gordon and Albert? And it was just like in that moment was the first time that I was able to like look at it through that kind of lens and be like, holy shit, they kind of told us in a really subtle way, you know? Very subtle, very subtle. Yeah. Um, did you want to mention the stuff about the weirdness with the text messages? Yes. So when he sends it, it's like, what, 2 a.m. in the morning, Something I think? Something like that, yeah. But it's not delivered. And when it comes through her phone, it's like, Four something maybe it was in oh my gosh it was in um military time and I can never figure out military time I'm okay. like the world's worst with that but it was like <laughs> six it was like 16 something so okay. I was like okay yeah. uh that's like four something so I was like so has he been driving all this time and he just now got the right you know reception I guess you could say to for that text to send mm-hmm, to this is what him. is Yeah, and this is what is weird because I'm like, and that's when she sends him the coordinates. Yes. Well, and what's even stranger is that now this could be a continuity error. You got to hope it's not on a show like this. But they show her phone, I think, three times because she looks at it the first time to get the the first like sort of trigger text. Then Mm -hmm. she texts back, texts back the coordinates. And then she looks at the Uh phone again in the hotel room each time. The text says it has come through at a different time. Yes. And when she looked at it again in the hotel room, the coordinates weren't there. <sighs> I mean. <laughs> I was like, wow. Thank I, I like to think that this, this is so polished that there are no continuity errors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really kind of hope so because that, because they knew that they were going to be closing up on the phone. It's a very right. important part of 
the way Diane is retelling things. And so you got to think that with all the meticulous editing going on, they had enough time to look or to see those scenes play out. And I'm not as right. bothered if if the timing was just a continuity thing, but the, the coordinates not being there, that really makes me think that it's not. And there's still some stuff being messed with here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, of course, I started to think, well, this was after the fact. This was on my rewatch. I started to think, how could there be two Diane's in the same mm-hmm. space? I don't know. It's yeah. just, yeah, it, it messed with my mind. It really messed with my mind. Yeah, it's messing with it right now, in fact, too, because I didn't, I didn't even notice that the coordinates weren't there. I was just paying attention to the time. Yeah, hmm. they weren't. And I was like, ah. what? I know. I know. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, what a journey. It's been so lovely to experience all of this Diane stuff with you because just as soon oh. as you showed such an interest in her from the very beginning, I was like, oh, God, <laughs> we this is going to be great. And I never imagined that it would take me to these places, but I am no. so happy it did. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love Diane, and I'm hoping that, and obviously I don't know, you know, anything, which I'm sure I didn't even have to preface this with this, but (laughs) I don't know anything about the last two episodes, but I'm like, I'm hoping that we do see the real Diane, because I, I'm a little taken aback that this whole time I've been obsessed with the tulpa. (laughs) Right, yeah. I mean, fair enough. It's not like her tulpa did have such a presence, though. I mean. Oh, for sure. For sure. From the first minute you see her turn around at that bar with the cigarette in her fingers, it's just like, oh, yeah, Diane, for sure. It's Diane, yeah. Mm -hmm. Audrey's dance. got one last thing to talk about so let's head over to Twin Peaks where all is not well at the roadhouse oh yeah so Mm. first of all it's another one of these strange introductions where Edward Lewis Severson is playing who's actually just Eddie Vedder yeah (laughs) um which is very similar to the nine inch nails and not just nine inch nails right right Um, right so that kind of kicks it off in a very strange unsettling sort of fashion um but then Audrey and Charlie have finally made it to the roadhouse but I want to know your thoughts on this first time through oh man well first of all I was very very excited to Mm -hmm. see Audrey's dance oh I know I was just super excited about that um (laughs) I thought, okay, she's moved on to the roadhouse now, right? So mm-hmm. we've crossed over that threshold, right? right? And what does this mean for her, this interpretive dance, which is which is just Audrey's dance. We know that from prior yeah. seasons. What does this mean for her? I don't know. Like the whole, it was... It was odd, but in a good way. And then everything that happened, obviously, with the fight breaking out and that freaking her out. And I don't know. It was a it was a great scene. I 
again, I'm going to tell y'all, fell off the couch at the end, <laughs> at the at the end of this scene. So, oh my goodness, you should have just stayed on the floor. Well, I mean, honestly, if that wasn't going to be the end of the uh, show or you know the episode right there, I was just going to stay on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, yeah, it's incredible. It's um, it's one of those moments of. The it's not fan service, but it is feeding some sort of nostalgic craving that we have. And it's it's nice because we see Audrey smile for the first time since we've been back with her and the way that she it's like she I mean, because this this leads to what we might also call an awakening. And it's almost like this dance is the trigger for her, whereas for Mm -hmm. Diane, it was the text. Right. There's right. something about her coming, her doing this dance of her like coming back into her body, coming back into her mind. Um, yeah, I love being able to see her smile. And it's for this moment, you get kind of caught up in like, oh, this is so nice. It's so familiar. It's it's the it's that weird dance that Audrey did back in the original seasons that was always so kooky, but you really loved it because it was just, oh, yeah. like that's Twin Peaks. You know, that's so Twin Peaks. But it very quickly becomes unsettling because why has the crowd moved for her? Why is she being bathed in this purple light? Why is this like she just went to the roadhouse looking for somebody. Somebody says Audrey's dance and she just does it like this does not feel right. It felt very dreamy to me. Yeah. Well, isn't it so dreamy as Audrey would say, right? Isn't it so dreamy? Yes. And then, yeah. And then everything just. Everything goes crazy. I mean, it's hard not to think of how James just says hello and then everything goes nuts. And Chuck yeah. is attacking somebody for talking to his wife. And this man in the roadhouse is also attacking somebody for being with his wife or talking to his wife, yeah. whatever it might be. There's a lot of echoes there. And then, I mean, it's just like, what the fuck? I mean, Audrey wants to get out. There's a zap of electricity, and all of a sudden, she's looking into a mirror in a white room. What the fuck? Yeah. Did she just wake up from? Okay, like I, I don't, I don't know if we yes, would have two coma. <laughs> I don't exactly. I don't know. I was thinking to myself, are we having two coma wake ups in one episode? I right. mean, wow. Yes. But it makes me wonder if. It's more of some type of facility and she's been undergoing some type of treatments that are like putting her in a dreamlike state and Mm -hmm. is trying to get her somewhere. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But there's so many different ways to read it. And it is hard not to think about everybody else that's had a kind of awakening in this episode. And yeah, the fact that there's a little crackle of electricity on you know, the in the editing, be, right before mm-hmm. she wakes up to that white room. I mean, you have to think about like, oh, so what was it? Electricity? Like this coma stuff? And I mean, we know that when Diane turns back into the tulpa, there's like all that black fire within her, which is supposed to be like this electricity. Electricity. And, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's just there's so many different ways to read it. And I don't know if there's a right way right now, you know, like it's it's impossible to know. But I, yeah. I do get the facility vibes, of course, because it's always like the white padded room or whatever, right? Right, right. But it's so, I think Audrey looks most like herself in this final cut. Like there's something yes. where she's, 
the the Audrey that we've been seeing feels um like a dressed up Audrey in a way. I don't know if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like she's it's not that she doesn't look like her, but she looks just sort of made up in a way. Whereas in yeah. this final shot, that's clearly Audrey's face. Like that's a real Audrey's face. <laughs> right. Right. I get exactly where you're going with this. And I felt the same way. That's why I was like, has she been in some, obviously she's been in some sort of dream sequence, but like, what's the significance yeah. of it? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And then well, it's what a worth, way to end it. Oh, I know. It's an incredible ending to an incredible episode, right? Like, I mean, just so much happens and then that's where you're left. It's, yeah. yeah. And it's worth noting that for the credits this time around, it's still Audrey's theme, but it is being played backwards. Oh, I, okay. I didn't even notice that it was backwards, but I did know it was still obviously Audrey's mm-hmm. theme. Yeah. Weird, right? I mean. No, so <laughs> weird. I love it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the Twin Peaks weirdness. Well, if that's all for this week, good night, Hawk. Goodbye, Margaret. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Damn Fine TV podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Come hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter at Damn Fine TV. You can find me on Instagram at the.written.witch and Mel's at Superficial Mel's. And if you're watching TV, make sure it's damn fine TV. Damn fine TV. I don't think that you can get too much Twin Peaks.